Um, so I'm Poppy Smith, and my, with my husband Jim helping me, and uh, I will share all sorts of stories with you about uh, what I wish I knew before I got married and uh, what I wish I knew after I got married. And my goal is, for those of you who are single, to give you information to um, make wise decisions. Uh, <laughs> and I'll share a little bit about how easy it is for us when the thrills take over to um, disconnect from our brain because every other part of our body is saying, go for it, go for it. <laughs> um, anyway, I learned a lot in the years that we've been married. So I, uh, just to give you a little background, I have a master's in spiritual formation and direction. I, years ago, was a, a Bible teacher in Bible study fellowship for many years. I've done quite a bit of international speaking, um, and with my husband was involved with the CMDE conference for many years in uh, Asia and Africa, speaking to missionary wives, and since then uh, doing quite a bit of global as well as across the country uh, speaking. And I currently enjoy a group of younger women uh, in my home every two weeks and talking about something we're reading about and talking about life and walking with Christ. And it's sort of an additional joy to going and speaking. And, and I write and I have a website and all that kind of good ministry stuff. So let's begin with prayer that God will guide the session and it will be helpful to you. Father, we just thank you that you know the end from the beginning, and not only in, in this country and in the election we've just had, but you know the end from the beginning in our lives. You know what has gone on in our journey to this point. You know what is to come. And I just pray you give me wisdom, Holy Spirit, in sharing the um, the things I didn't know that I learned the hard way but that are powerful and change, change me and can change our lives. Help us to hear you speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, just a little background. I am British, have very little accent left. Met my husband in Nairobi, Kenya. I came from a family, and my father was in the British Air Force, the Royal Air Force. My parents loved to travel, so as a child, after I was born in England, we ended up going to Sri Lanka, back to England, after a few years, back to Sri Lanka, back to England, to Singapore, back to England, and I ended up finally in Nairobi, and instead of going back to England, I came to America. I was 22 when I... Uh, got married in Nairobi. My husband is 10 years older than I am. I had never been to America. He had never been to England. We knew precious little about each other's backgrounds, and uh, I'm going to go into that in a little bit and say how important it is that you, you get those glimpses that will help you make good decisions. So, speaking as a woman, and I, it would be fun to talk to you men, uh, if you have the same kind of feelings about dating and looking for a spouse. But as I know women, um, women get excited about finding, if they're interested in finding a husband, and I assume most of you are interested in something like that, or you wouldn't be here. You'd be at some more scientific, dry kind of <laughs> workshop. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think we do. We meet someone and we think, um, 
Oh, he's just like me. Now, we live in the Northwest in Portland, Oregon, and people are in big into the outdoors. So maybe you hike and you like to climb mountains and you meet a fella or you meet a girl and she's absolutely with you on that. She loves to do that. She's going to go with you. And then you like to uh, fly fish maybe. And both of you, oh, we both love fly fishing or hiking or whatever you do in the Northwest, go camping and so on. And so you meet this person. It's like uh, when I was dating my husband, I was 21, and uh, he and a group of Peace Corps doctors, because he had finished his internship and was working for the Peace Corps, looking after doctors, uh, looking after Peace Corps volunteers. And he said, would you like to climb Kilimanjaro with a group of us? And here I was, you know, my husband has come into this little English church, I was a new believer, and uh, he's six foot five, and he wore a tropical suit, and uh, you know he had hair back then. And uh, <laughs> and my little twenty-year-old heart was, woo, I like that. <laughs> is is he uh, staying here, or is he just you know in transit going somewhere else? And then during the service, he actually pulled out a Bible, and I thought, whoa, this man is serious. He's about he's very serious about being a Christian. Anyway, he was there for two years. It took a whole year before he asked me out, and I had given up hope by then. But <laughs> anyway, so, so we met there, and when he said, would you like to climb Kilimanjaro, I acted you know, very nonchalantly. Well, of course, I'd love to go up Kilimanjaro. It never crossed my mind. And in, in my saner moments, I would say, me climb Kilimanjaro? I don't think so. But I did. I got to 15,000 feet. And I was smitten, not by him, but by altitude sickness. <laughs> I couldn't go any further. And so we were at the, at the base of the last ascent, and I was the failure of the group, because I had to go down because I had a cracking headache, and one of the guides took me down. And Jim, my husband, you know, not only climbed, ascended, but he even went all the way around the crater and then came down. So there's a photo of all of us in the group, and everybody's got these circle of everlasting flowers, and I'm standing there like that with a posy. So <laughs> but still, you know, when you're dating, you're on your best behavior. And of course I share your interest in this. Of course I would like to do that. Whether it's the, the guy or the woman, the guy could say, oh, I love sitting and talking to you by the hour. You know, when he's thinking. <laughs> and, I mean, we do, we put on, we don't mean to be artificial, hypocritical. We, we want to cement the bond and make us, both of us feel like we really do uh, like the same things. And then we talk about money and you find you have the same views on money. Yes, of course we should save everything that we can for our old age. And, you know, and you're thinking, like I did, uh, well, we'll save for a rainy day. And I would be thinking, well, what if there is no rainy day? Then what? Do we just leave it all behind when we die? Can't we spend some? And so <laughs> I would be talking about these, these issues that create a conflict. And, but there are also issues I would advise you if you're single and you're wise and you're smart or you wouldn't be here to think about them. It's not all romance. It's using your head as well. And then maybe you've met someone and because he listens and he empathizes, you think, you know, he's meeting my emotional needs. 
He's really in tune with me. He, he senses how I feel. Or from a guy, maybe he wouldn't use those words, but he's thinking, she really gets me. She, you know, she's good to talk to. I, I feel like we're connected. And so everybody's happy at that point. So, <laughs> and even that he's ready to listen without trying to fix me, and you're ready to listen to him without trying to tell him how he should straighten himself out and do this and do that. So here we have the perfect mate. I, I'm sorry, this is, somebody knows how to make that not so stretched. You're welcome to do it. But anyway, the perfect mate. I, I didn't have time to find a, an image of the woman as the, the perfect mate sort of you know, doing something that a man would like. And maybe that was probably best that I didn't look for something. <laughs> so the perfect mate. And then it's women, and I, maybe men. I've heard of men who have their long list of what they are looking for in a woman. And, uh, you know, and I knew one man who did that, and I just gave him a look. And I thought, well, do you think you're such great shapes that you, you have this list for a woman? What about you? And, you know, maybe a woman has a list and you don't need it. But the perfect plan is we meet, we date, we fall in love, and we live happily ever after, right? Anyone with their head screwed on knows that 50% of marriages don't work, even amongst Christians. There are things that we don't realize are going to come up and create tension. We disengage our head because our hormones are going crazy. We're, we're longing for someone to, to spend our life with, and it totally clouds our better judgment. We, we, we stop thinking. We may be initially, but once the, the feelings start going, most of us are in danger of not thinking very clearly and making a wise choice. So, in the first chapters of Genesis, we know God said he created male and female. And he created them to want each other. Otherwise, there'd be no more descendants of Adam and Eve, right? So, you have this desire uh, for a companion. Adam was lonely. God saw that. He provided Eve, and then they multiplied, and so on. And that's, that's how we've been designed. So, marriage is, is a gift from God. But singleness is also is also sorry, is also a, a gift that God gives and sometimes we don't appreciate it and don't want it. But I think it's really good to realize that, that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians taught very clearly that when you're single, you really can devote your life to serving God. And that's what he might be calling some of you too. But I know for, for most of the people I know who are single, um, after a certain age, that isn't something they want to have from the Lord. But it's good to look at that and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life if it doesn't include uh, a spouse and a, and a family? So marriage is a gift, but we all know that it can come apart. And that's um, a little bit of my story. What happened? Okay, so I apologize. Uh, it looks rather stretched out. Um, anyway, so the lion represents Africa, uh, where I met my husband. We would go out in the bush, and in those days you could shoot uh, game. Not He didn't do any big game, but I went in a Land Rover with him one Saturday, and he has this big rifle in the back, and we stop, and there's a, a wildebeest or a zebra. I think he had both. 
And so he gets out, and you have to walk so many yards from, the, from your vehicle. And then he gets down, and he shoots this thing. And it's like a heifer or a cow that's standing there staring at you, and you just shoot it. I've never seen anybody shoot anything or anything dead in my life, except a chicken when I lived in, uh, <laughs> in Sri Lanka. And so then you get out, and then you skin the thing. Oh, by the way, my husband had been a veterinarian before he went to medicine. And uh, so here he was in Africa with all these skills of doing things. And so, so we brought this, this skin and some of the carcass back. So we climbed Kilimanjaro. We went, I mean, it was like out of Africa. I don't know if ever you've seen that movie. It's a long time ago, but it was just wonderful. And, and we did things like that. He learned to fly a plane, and he took me up uh, once or twice until the second time it looked like we were coming down without meaning to. And so I <laughs> decided not to do that after that. And I could never figure out why he was always asking me what I weighed, because <laughs> I thought it's a little rude when you're just dating. Well, it turned out you're at 5,500 feet, and you're flying up country, and he was taking some of the volunteers, little dogs, little puppies. And so they weighed something, I weighed something, and then you got the plane high up. Um, anyway, I won't tell you any more about that story, but we did make it back on the ground, and I never got off again with him in a small plane. <laughs> so anyway, we arrived in America. I'd been married, we'd been married six weeks. And we had not known each other's family. Now, in this day where you can fly back and forth fairly easily, do not marry, if you are going to marry, somebody whose family you've never met or someone from a country you've never visited. That's, that's somewhat easy to do today. I mean, yes, you might have to save a lot, but it's really a wise thing to do because all of us are shaped by our family of origin. And in the, in the worst case, you know, the, the man you think is so wonderful might have been raised by a father who totally abused women, who spoke uh, demeaningly of women, and so on. You, your mother might have been uh, wild and hot-tempered, a bit like mine. And so you know nothing. You're going into it blindly with just, well, we had one year of getting to know each other, but we had very different personalities. So I talked, and Jim was quiet. So I arrived six weeks after being married with no idea of uh, the kind of environment my husband was raised in. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, I'm just saying in terms of information, because it will help you as you try to understand who is this person and what made him or her this way. It really does help to know a background. So Jim had never been to England, I, or in the English culture. I had never been to America. Uh, it turned out my family, even though they were not believers, were um, verbal, they were affectionate, uh, we would all kiss each other, whether it's the British European way, kiss each other on the cheek at night, say goodnight, um, we would hug when we met each other and so on. And then, but Jim came from a very honorable Christian family, but their view of the Christian life was very, very strict, very, very limited. And so I arrived at 22, um, from a totally non-Christian background and discovered that things like you can only use the King James Bible, which I couldn't understand, and uh, you had to dress a certain way, you couldn't cut your hair, you couldn't wear jewelry or makeup or uh, movies or men's clothes, and on and on and on. And, and this was how he was raised. 
And of course, when you're in your 30s, any of you come from any kind of culture, what well, we all do actually, we are shaped and formed by how we were raised. And we do things that uh, reflect our, our parents' ways of responding to things. So we arrived in America. I knew no one except Jim. Within a week or two, he began his first year of general surgery residency, which meant he was in-house every other night for the first year of our marriage. And uh, it was really tough. And I was very bitter. I mean, all this romantic dating in Africa <laughs> come down to being alone as I had been in Africa. And so very lonely, feeling I had made a terrible mistake and wanting to get out of my marriage. Now, I now look back and I see that God knew what he was doing, that I needed to be plunged in the deep end of spiritual transformation. I was hot-tempered, I was verbal, I knew nothing about uh, the control of the Holy Spirit, and it took me a long time to look back and see that God, God allowed this because he wanted to transform me, but of course transform my husband through me battering against him. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was really tough, and I wanted to leave, I really did. And the Lord held me there. He impressed on me so strongly that, um, that incompatibility is not a biblical grounds for divorce. So then I faced this question, so how am I going to manage? How am I going to live with someone where we, we just see things so differently? We react so differently. Our personalities are so different. And I really didn't know how. I just knew that I had to go to the Lord over and over, confess my, my hurt, my pain, my anger, my desire to be revengeful and say mean things. And so all the flesh that was in me was given this perfect environment in which to flourish. But it was also an environment in which Christ wanted to, to work in me. And I, I, I keep thinking last night of Dr. Julie Slatterly and how she ended up really focusing on, on the Lordship of Christ because that is the only answer when we're, we have incompatibility. Now do hear what I'm saying. I'm not just talking to women and saying you've got to just you know, work it out with, with him and so on. I worked in a domestic violence shelter. So I know, and I know that the women are not expected by God to be treated with, with a lack of dignity or honor or fairness. So don't hear me saying the old thing, you know, every woman should just, you know, do everything that a man wants. No, there, there's equality and equal respect for one another. But this was where I was, and I, I felt that, you know, I had made a terrible mistake. I wanted to leave, and yet bit by bit, as the Lord started speaking to me, I cried out to him to change me. And I said to the Lord, I hate who I have become. I've become a woman of anger and um, negativity, irritability. I've become someone I don't want to be. And you know, when, when the Holy Spirit exposes you to yourself, that's where you have to go. God, forgive me and work in me and change me. Because like Julie said last night, until we are fully surrendered to the Lord, um, she quoted Hudson Taylor, you know, unless, 
uh, he is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And it's true. And it's still today. It might seem like old-fashioned theology, but it is the way of Scripture and the way of following Christ. So, what happened? It was very difficult. <laughs> and marriage needs more than romance. I, I really have enjoyed uh, Gary Thomas. If any of you have read any of his works, you know that he's a very thoughtful, biblical writer. He's really worth reading in a lot of areas. But he says on the front of his book, Sacred Marriage, he said, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Isn't that a thought-provoking question? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And before Gary Thomas wrote this, I had already come to that conclusion, that marriage is a school for spiritual transformation. Now, God uses many, many situations for transformation. Many, some people have um, a child with special needs or an autistic child. Some people have a health issue. Some people have financial. There are so many things in this world. Jesus says in this world you will have tribulation. And sometimes it is in a marriage that God uses to drive us to our knees to say, God, change me. But those of you who are not married yet, I want to just give you some, some thoughts about what to look for. So wonderful as romantic feelings are, they are still... Uh, there are still realities that we need to know. Let me just give you a quote from Gary Thomas in this book. He says, The idea that marriage can survive on romance alone, which we want to be true, which is our idea until we recognize some other factors. The idea that marriage can survive on romance alone or that romantic feelings are more important than any other consideration when choosing a spouse has wrecked many a marital ship. Romance is wonderful. It's, I think, the, the feelings and the hormones and all the other things that, that go off, that fire off in us, is wonderful. And it, it causes us to want to get together and to, to belong to someone and marry and so on. But that is not going to be true forever. Now, hopefully, you'll have a marriage where it's periodic and you have the same feelings and it's wonderful, but life goes on. You know, you're either studying or you're working or you'll have other things you have to do. And the feelings of romance, that high intensity of feelings, will not be there year in and year out because God wants it to be something deeper, a commitment to that person. And like... Julie said last night, the, um, the, commit, the covenant of marriage, not just a commitment for as long as you feel you love them and have all those good feelings again, because marriage doesn't last like that. There are times where it's a covenant that you stay in it, just as the Lord taught me. So I want to go on to uh, this, from romance to reality, six facts you should know. And I, I just want to emphasize again, this isn't just about marriage. It's about spiritual transformation, that God uses marriage as a tool, marriage where there's conflict or differences, 
the need to learn to accept one another, the need to forgive one another, the need to um, control your tongue, speak words that are encouraging and not destructive. This is all how God shapes our inner person. And who you are inside as you walk with Christ is who you're going to be uh, working in ministry and missions, whatever you do. And, and we have to be a, a person of integrity that in our home we are the same people as outside our home. And, and the Holy Spirit's power can flow through us. But if we're holding grudges in our marriage, if we're bitter, if we're saying mean things, if we're manipulative over finances, uh, various other things, the Holy Spirit is blocked from using you. And I would hope and think that all of you are here because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's power in what you do in your, in your life ahead. And, you know, I used to think, well, I can't help my temper. And true, my mother expressed her dissatisfaction with a temper and uh, lots of strong words. But I can't blame my mother because, and nor can you <laughs> or your father, because you have the Holy Spirit in you. And when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can be changed if you're willing to do it, willing to die to self. And so I, I was struck by this story years ago, and I was so struggling with all this. And at times I still do, still on the journey. But uh, I read the story of this couple who were in the middle of a big fight with each other, you know, shouting and just really furious with each other over something. And the doorbell rang. So one of them went to the door, and they opened it, and here was their pastor. And he was standing there smiling. Oh, it's good to see you. I thought I'd stop by for a visit. And how, how do you think they acted? Well, we're in the middle of a fight, so just leave. You know, we're in no mood to be sociable or spiritual. And so, uh, but, but instead, they covered it up. You know how it is? You're in the middle of something where you're really upset about something, and somebody comes along, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Whereas if they'd arrived two minutes before, you would be gnashing your teeth and breathing fumes and all the rest of it. But it just shows that you can control your temper. You can control your words. Now, now stopping it, or as God taught me, zip your lips, puppy. Zip your lips. Don't say that. And then he taught me step by step, really spiritually through prayer, leave the room if you can't zip your lips. If it's just, <laughs> leave your room. And I would go to the bathroom, lock the door, and just rant before God. Not at God, but before God. And I thought, I'm like David, who expressed all his emotions to God. And it's also physical. We're filled with adrenaline when we're upset. And as you, you, you process it, either verbally before God or uh, in your mind, you are calming yourself down. And so the ability to think clearly and sanely and biblically uh, is allowed to come in. So we do have control over things. And it's part of our growth journey to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And God looks at all that we are of the flesh, and that's uh, unpleasant. And he says, turn to me, I will make you a different person in time as you continually yield these issues to me. And like I said, you also pray that if you're married, that, that your partner would also be sensitive to the Holy Spirit 
and to his part in the problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> or her part for that matter. So I'm telling you this because these, these feelings are part of, of marriage. And I just want to say this, marriage is an environment in, in which God speaks. So if you are married, be aware of this. Listen to God speaking to you through the word. I would read James, I would read Proverbs. I mean, I'd have to be awfully dense not to get the message God was saying to me in my anger problem. Uh, through his spirit, and he confronts and convicts. And, and he asks you probing questions like, who matters more to you, you or me? You or the Lord? Who, who is number one in your heart and your life? Getting your way, is that the most important thing for you? I think sometimes for men and for women, we want the last word. We want to strike the final blow and win the argument. And, uh, and yet, what are we doing in terms of damaging the relationship? So, there are many things here, scriptures. We make it our goal to please him. Do we? In, in a relationship? He died for all so that those who live should no longer live, live for themselves. Uh, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So much instruction in scripture. Not just how we live outwardly, but inwardly, privately, but also in our hearts. I see it as three spheres where God wants to work. Publicly, where we're with people and they're reading us and we're saying things and they can easily see who we are. Then privately, in our private relationships, but then in our heart. Where are we in our heart? Are we putting on a mask? Or are we saying to God, change me, because I see what is not pleasing to you. So, your clone does not exist. We looked at that. I want you to uh, think about um, looking, particularly if you're dating, but even afterwards. Uh, get to know each other. How did your parents communicate? Mine were verbal, at least my mother was, <laughs> so I became verbal. My husband's parents were very non-verbal, non-communicative, non-expressive. And I came from the opposite. How do you handle conflict? Do you, uh, did your family growing up slam the doors, uh, refuse to speak to one another, spew hateful words? How did your, your family, your model, what is normal to you, uh, influence how you handle conflict? Money, discipline, did they show love and affection? Did they set the emotional tone? And what was that emotional tone? Was it shut down or open and loving? So I want to just look also at this one on your brains are wired differently. Uh, we're not from the same home and that makes a big difference. And the more you know when you're dating about the other person's home life and parents and, and the environment, the better off you'll be to make a wise decision. But also your brains are wired differently. We know that the male and female brain is wired differently. And we have different hormones and chemicals racing around. And men have, uh, you know, a great deal of testosterone, which makes them a certain way. And women have estrogen, which makes us another way. And uh, so the physical differences are there. Parts of the brain, chemical and hormones. I won't go into a lot of that. You probably know it. But then another way you're wired differently is personality type. Now... I'm sure there are some couples who are the same on the Myers-Briggs and, and DISC and various other things. But most often, one is one way and one is the other. 
One is an I, one is a D or B or whatever, the I and E, <laughs> introvert, extrovert, right, right. And so this also plays into um, how harmonious your relationship is. So if you're dating, you might not want to say what your minds breaks, although you might, uh, and talk about it, but it does make a difference. And if any of you uh, have studied the Enneagram, uh, when I was in seminary, that's one of the courses we took. To it, it really, it's not Christian, it's not biblical, but it's not anti-biblical. It gives you some real deep insights into your motivation and so on. So in a way, the more you know yourself, which is a part of spiritual formation, know yourself and know God, um, it will help you discern who the other person is and those areas where you're not compatible, those areas where you don't share the same passion or the same viewpoint or motivation. So you've got the personality type. And then there's processing and communication. Uh, there's a lot on this, on communication. I, my book that I wrote on this, Why Can't He Be More Like Me, <laughs> deals with conflict, communication, money, uh, sex, various other things. <laughs> um, and I'm not allowed to sell them here, but they are available at the CMDA uh, bookstore if you're interested. But I, I give a lot of illustrations and stories, but also scripture. And what do you do about it if you find yourself having problems in this area? So it's important for us to understand how we process. Now, women generally, I'm being very general, because it's not always true, but women generally tend to process verbally. Uh, they, they think, at least I do, think as they talk. They don't have a, a preset time, I will think, and I'm going to say this, and this, and this. Then the opportunity comes, and then they say this, this, and this, and this. It's not like you've written an essay, and now you're going to read it. You, you think, and you speak, which can land us into trouble, because often you haven't thought before you speak, and that can uh, have a repercussions. But I, I was telling the story earlier about my husband and I. He's more an introvert in some ways and not verbal as I am uh, in some ways. So we're driving along one day and I said to him, uh, why don't we take the kids to Disneyland uh, this summer? Jim's driving. And then I said, what do you think about going to Disneyland? Silence. Driving. And then I, after two or three more times, I just had it. And I said, why are you, I'm sitting in the car, why are you ignoring me and refusing to talk to me about going to Disneyland? And so he says in this injured voice, as he's driving, he says, I'm still thinking about your first question. Um, and I'm going like this, uh, because I have to get someone to cover my call, I have to get somebody to take my patience, uh, I don't know if our car will go all that way uh, because it's a second-hand car. And he, so he was processing silently. And what that said to me was he was ignoring me. And so I came back in my way that God is trying to work on me <laughs> so that I'm more understanding and not so quick. Um, but we, we, we communicate differently. And the other thing is women tend to expand in what they're saying or describing something. And a man uh, contracts. The classic joke is a man goes and his friend has a baby. So he, he sees the baby. He comes home and says to his wife, oh, I visited so-and-so and saw the baby. 
So the wife says, well, what was, what was it like? Tell me about it. Well, it's a boy and there's a baby. I mean, what else is there to say? And she's thinking, tell me, does it have some hair? What color is it? How much did it weigh? Does it look like the mother or the father? And often women are just frustrated because men don't expand enough and tell us what we want to know. So these are all areas where we have to learn to accept one another, understand one another, work with our different personality types, and even work with our views that came from our upbringing. Okay, the next one is that we have different emotional needs. Now, we have some in common. Love, respect, affection, and uh, acceptance. Those are really important on both sides. Men need to feel accepted and respected. Sometimes women, we can in this day and age be disrespectful and not care about their feelings. And we just say what we want to say because women have power now, so we can do it. And that's not a godly thing to do. I mean, it goes back again to scripture and the Lordship of Christ. Would the Lord want to hear me say that to that person, my husband or my wife? That's, that's our, our guideline, um, plumb line. Okay, so women need, I'll give you three things. Time, and this is hard for guys, time to sit there with your wife, I didn't tell you my expectations when we married were that Jim and I would sit uh, in the evenings. Uh, I had no idea what a day as a resident would be like, of course. Total ignorance of that lifestyle. So I assumed we would sit in the evening and drink coffee, and we would talk to each other. We would gaze into each other's eyes. Oh, it's so wonderful that we're married and you're mine. And, you know, I was totally unrealistic. I married a man who doesn't drink coffee. A man who didn't want, to, didn't want to stay up late because he had to get up at five for surgery rounds or something like that. And who had no interest in the topics I wanted to discuss. Feelings and philosophy and the minor prophets and, you know, things that, that stimulated me and have bored him to death. So, you know, we, we enter into things. And that's why if you're not married, try and figure all this out as much as possible. Uh, because it will either alert you when it happens if you marry or you will see that maybe this isn't the best match uh, once you use your head a little bit. So men generally then, what do men need? They want freedom, I think. They want a sexually available partner. I don't mean in an abusive way. But they, they want freedom, the freedom to take risks. They do not want a girlfriend or a wife who is their mother that tells them what to do and what they, how they should go outside in the cold and the rain and put their hat on and their hood on and uh, tell them they can't go climb a mountain because it's too dangerous and, you know, hover over and, and the things that women tend to do, many women tend to do. Um, so so these, are, these are needs that both have. For women, it's time, it's talk, someone to talk with, time to be with them, and tenderness. Harshness is very painful for women, and they want that. And I remember years ago thinking, I have to cultivate friendships with women, because I will get time and talk, and uh, we'll, we're all tender with each other, right? <laughs> women friends are often um, a great way to stay emotionally stable. So, <laughs> Okay, last one. 
is uh, money. I never realized that there were different views of money. So somebody might look at money as success. Now, those of you who are going on the mission field on a poverty salary, you might not be uh, looking at money as success, but money can still be a source of arguments because you have none. And he wants to buy this, and you say, no, no, we don't have enough food for this. And You know, lack of money produces stress. But if you are going into the healthcare field in this country, you probably won't have those things unless you're foolish enough to buy a half a million or a million dollar house as soon as you step out of the training, um, then you will have more problems with money. But for some people, success is what they want to show with their money, their car, their house, their clothes, and so on. So to some people, money means success. To some, it means security. You've got to, uh, to save for a rainy day. And my husband was very wise. And he was older when he got into practice because of being a vet and so on. And so he put away a lot of, my, of his, uh, his income to savings. And I was really frustrated because I wanted some of it. And I would say to him, you're a surgeon. Can't I have more money than this? <laughs> he said, no, we're putting it away for a rainy day for retirement. Now I'm grateful for it. But I remember thinking and saying to him, but what if there's never a rainy day? Then what? We die and we leave it all behind. We wouldn't have enjoyed any of it. So anyway, fun can be what money means you. You've got access to go, go do something good. And then security is another one. Excuse me, I did security. So fun. Fun is, would be my response, but not totally without my head screwed on. I know you've got to save and all the rest of it. But fun, you've got it. Enjoy it. It's a blessing from God. So long as you're being faithful to the Lord in, in giving and so on, enjoy a little of, of what he's blessed you with. But the last one is a negative, and that is power. That the one who earns the most money feels they have the power to decide how it's used. And that becomes a real clash in a marriage. So whoever brings in the most gets to decide how it's spent. It becomes control. It becomes a very negative factor between two people. So your view of money, discuss it if you possibly can. And recognize you can have different views, but you're going to have to somehow find a way to come together and work it out so that it's honoring to God and honoring to each of you. So here we are, three helps to building a stronger relationship. It begins with who are you, who am I, ask the Lord to show you. Who are you? Who's the other person? How did our home shape us? And this bottom question, what matters most in our relationship? Is it, is it me getting my way, being first, having what I want in the relationship, what makes me happy? Or is it honoring the Lord? And when it comes back to honoring the Lord, and if your heart truly wants to walk in surrender to him and to have an unblocked flow of the Holy Spirit using you to touch other people's lives through your profession, through who you are, being an influence for God. If that matters most to you, you will work on issues and with God's help, you will sort them out. Not that you have to agree on everything. You know, maybe you voted differently. Maybe you chose not to vote. You don't have to be clones. You don't have to be alike. But we do need to walk 
in, in surrender to how the Lord wants us to treat one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that tells us to forgive, to speak words that build up and not destroy, that uh, we don't go around with grudges and rage, uh, smothering our hearts, that we don't go around being resentful, speaking badly of our spouse. Lord, if there are those things uh, in the marriages that are here, I just pray that you would you would bring them to, to light and to a place of confession and discussion and uh, working together to glorify you. And Lord, for those who are single, I pray you would help them uh, have wisdom from you in their relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's my husband who's on time. <laughs> okay, any questions? Uh, 3? 3.45. Oh, I do have time. Okay. Uh, yes, anybody got a question? Or was it too public a forum to ask questions? Yes. But that's step one. You can be a believer and live like a non-believer. Let's face it, we all can. Is it someone who seeks to to be surrendered? I think that's a key word we need to use nowadays. Am I surrendered to Christ? People will say to me, oh, I believe in God. And I've learned to say to them, tell me about this God that you believe in. You know, when women come, oh, should I marry him? He, he believes in God. And I said, what does he believe about God? Who is God? He could be all sorts of things. So going a little deeper into that, and then in terms of totally incompatible, I think it goes to how it's expressed. Uh, so you could have a, a, an introvert, a very quiet person, but they're married to somebody who's gentle and kind, even if they're an extrovert. You see what I'm saying? It's how you use that personality type with the other person. Um, but it is a bit more challenging. But then, as they say, opposites attract. But unfortunately, unless we're walking in the Lord, opposites attack too. <laughs> Anyone else? I saw a few more hands over there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes, okay. How long did you know each other before you started this long distance? Uh, we only dated for three months um, before he ended up Yeah, I think it's a little like, I know some of you here probably use Match.com or all those other ones. Yeah. Some of you. I, I know, and I, I understand, and I know a few people who met uh, someone through that. 
But I've read a lot of material on on the negative side of that because you're not you don't really know that person. You can say what you want and you can be very compatible and empathetic and all those good things that we want in a relationship, but you're not being put to the test of choices you make and one absolutely doesn't want that and the other does want it and how does that work out? Is one person very dominant and you feel pushed into things? Um, so how long is he going to be gone? He'll be back likely to get the job back in this area by April, July next Well, keep on. And, and if I were you, I'd take a list of these things. And if you want, you can look at the book and just write down the chapters <laughs> that deal with all these different things, the clone, the, the home, and uh, temperament, and so on. Um, and start bringing up those questions. Get to know him rather than, oh, I had a busy day studying for my exams today. But start getting into a dialogue where you dig deeper. Yes? Well, again, I'm not trying to be commercial, but I wrote a book for this very purpose. And I have... <laughs> Because the Lord just showed me, I had a lot, uh, I, I started, this is my fifth or sixth book, so it's not like I suddenly thought, I'm writing this and launching it into the world. It was something I teach on, I speak, you know, in a lot of different places, and I have spent so much time with women who just weep and say, in, in Asia, in, I mean, many countries I've been to, and it's a common thing, and so my heart aches. For women, and I know there's some men who find themselves in, in a marriage that's very painful. Um, so my book has quizzes and questions in most chapters. There's an assessment of, uh, you know, your upbringing. Was your home like this? Was his like that? So you can work through. It's a toolbox, really, uh, along with stories, true stories. Uh, I had my husband read every chapter before it was published <laughs> because uh, I thought, well, it is it's somewhat personal, but I think we both recognize God has given us a unique, um, a unique relationship where we've both learned uh, and grown spiritually. So I think it would be a waste given the opportunity God's given me not to share that information to help people work through not every marriage is, is wonderful. And I know uh, years ago going to seminars on, oh, how he can surprise you. And she can do this. And, oh, your heart will be, you know, and I'm thinking, come on, be real. Not every marriage is like that. Some are tough. And some you need to grapple with your, your reactions and the other person's reactions. So I wanted it to be a dose of reality, but with hope and with scripture. And with saying, you don't have to give up in despair or walk away in anger. And given our culture, that's what happens. I have a question. Yes. Um, when you were talking about the personality differences, I can't help but think of the five love languages. Yes, like and I, I had them listed. I was just going through the material. Absolutely. Because I was thinking that could be another like, great reference as well. It is, the five love languages. This Gary, what's it, Gary? Gary's Chapman, yeah, right. Yes? Can you comment a little bit on, like, for couples, married couples even, that their trajectory on thinking about international medicine differs somewhat to stay, somewhat to go abroad? Yes, and I was thinking about that because of the context of, of speaking here. Um, 
That's something before you ever get married you really need to talk about. But it doesn't mean you stay with that view when you marry and life moves on. Uh, then, you know, you can have that, instead of coming together, you have a divergence of, of a sense of leading by the Lord. Um, I think one of the worst things is to take a wife overseas reluctant, who's reluctant to go. My husband's done a lot of work at mission uh, hospitals, being with uh, people on the field, seen a lot of women depressed. The husband is out there. It's not always this way. But, but for women, their role, their sense of who they are, it's very hard if they are, have no sense of significance, if they're isolated from friends. It's, it's rough on a lot of women, and depending on their personality and how they adapt to, to circumstances. Some would thrive. Oh, this is so fun. I'm going to have to make you know, bread out of bananas or you know, whatever is <laughs> dug up from the ground. I mean, eat post-show in East Africa. You know, some will thrive. But others will think, good grief, I gave up my life for this and creates conflict in the marriage. So, you know, husbands are called to love their wives and sacrifice themselves for their wives. And that's really hard when your heart is set on something. But I think it's even harder to go and, leave you and have your wife be depressed and unhappy. And I, I've talked with a lot of people, you know, in, in, uh, ministering overseas who feel they just can't take it anymore. A different conference is coming and talking to you and saying, I can't do this anymore. And uh, having to leave the field. So it's, it's very difficult. And you need to both... I mean, it's going to be a shock regardless because moving into a totally different culture and lifestyle is hard. But you need to be together in it. And you, as a man, need to be very supportive of your wife. And she needs to be supportive of you and not resentful. Yes? Can you talk about the unique challenges of being the spouse of a surgical resident? <laughs> <laughs> well, part of the problem was I had no idea what, and I don't mean this <laughs> in a negative way, I literally had no idea what I was marrying into in terms of the rigorous uh, lifestyle of a, of a resident of anything, but I guess surgery in particular. Um, if you've had a background in medicine or been around people and you've seen it, you know that they're not going to be there from early morning till late at night. Uh, there were times, one time I said to Jim, can't you come home earlier? He was getting home about 7 or 7.30, and I fed our son and our daughter, and I thought, where is he? And, and again, you know, my husband, in his injured voice, said to me, do you think I stay at the hospital on purpose? He, uh, see, so this was a lot of God's education for me. He said, do you think I wouldn't rather be home with you and the kids and have a nice hot meal together? And it, for me, it was like, Oh, really? You would? Because in my mind, I was thinking all these resentful thoughts. Where is he? I bet he's doing something. Oh, and another one, which was a little bit, I don't think he meant it manipulatively. You could laugh at it that way. He said, well, if you were waiting for your diagnosis of cancer, would you want to wait another day because your doctor had to go home and have dinner with his family? And, I mean, what can you say? No. I mean, <laughs> so... Just trying to get as much as 
much knowledge as you can, um, because at least you'll know and hopefully be able to understand, accept, work with, adapt, all those good things. Let's see, there was one person who had a hand there. Did you have something? No? Okay, okay. One more, yes. Um, how would you deal um, with the other uh, person you gave whose family doesn't have the same values as you or your well, I think it goes back again. You know, if I am going to treat people the way the Lord wants me to treat them, then I treat them with respect, even if you have nothing in common. You know, and you don't speak derogatorily about them. Uh, you maybe not be effusive and friendly. Uh, you might need, you know, some barriers and so on. But, a border, what's boundaries? <laughs> I'm trying to get the word. Boundaries. But... Uh, I think it's just a general principle, how you treat others who are, who are not Christians. And I think learning to just not say stuff that comes to your lips or your mind is probably a good way to go a lot of the time. We don't have to say what's on our mind all the time. Uh, we can process that with the person we're dating or not at all, because as soon as you start attacking their family or they attack yours, you're in another whole mess of trouble. <laughs> okay, thank you for coming. I hope it's been helpful.